do have some time for questions. They can be out of here at 12.30. But I'll take questions until then. So the question is, how many dimensions are there in the um, We don't know. Simple answer. Every question you ask, I will say we don't know. Um, we obviously see three dimensions of space, up, down, left, right, forward, backward. And we see one dimension of time. Many popular theories um, of modern physics say that there are more dimensions. And they're curled up and we can't see them. And if that's true, it is very possible that these different little baby universes here versus here, have different numbers of visible dimensions, different numbers of microscopic dimensions. In fact, I, I myself have written papers suggesting that you can change the number of dimensions as you go from one part of the universe to another. But the favorite idea is 10 or maybe 11 total. We'll be honest with you. Yeah. Why is it that a uh, mathematical formula can describe the nature of the universe? I mean, just symbols that we invented, counting one, two, three, how come there's a match there? That's a good question. Why is it that mathematical symbols are so good at describing the universe? In fact, this is a famous question asked by a theoretical physicist named Eugene Zwigner, who talked about the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics in physics. Uh, we don't know, the short answer, but uh, it's a reflection of the fact that the universe is orderly. The universe is not random. And I think that if the universe were truly random, if there were no structure, if there were no patterns, if there were no laws, we would not be here talking about it. So I, I don't know why there is structure in the universe, but I'm thankful there is, otherwise we wouldn't be having problems. Any other questions? Why does quartz vibrate? Now that's a good question. Why does quartz vibrate? You know, everything vibrates. Uh, it's, it's almost... At some deep level, it's because the speed of light is a speed limit. But in fact, it's just because there's something called the speed of sound. If I tap this desk, the, what's happening is the desk vibrates, and the vibrations spread out right, at some finite speed. It's not that I tap here and instantly over there, it's vibrating. So every material has a characteristic frequency at which it responds to an impulse. The nice thing about force is because it is a crystal, it doesn't matter where you tap it or you know what you're doing to it. It will always vibrate at exactly the same rate. You tap one little atom, it communicates that to the atoms next to it, communicates that to the atoms next to that in a very, very particular way. <laughs> yes. You said the Earth gives off 20 times as many photons as we see from the sun. That's right. I said that the Earth gives off 20 times as many photons as we see from the sun. What's the how does that work is the question. So, uh, yeah, modulo global warming, uh, the Earth is giving off exactly the same amount of radiation. What happens is we get visible light from the sun. The atmosphere is a filter, right? The atmosphere does not let in all wavelengths of light equally. But there is a coincidence, or maybe it's not, that the, most of the radiation from the sun comes in visible light, not in ultraviolet, infrared, or any of the other. And that is the uh, frequency that gets through the atmosphere. However, what happens is the light hits an object, it heats it up, and then it starts it vibrating, just like the quartz crystal, right? But it, that those vibrations mean that it will eventually emit other photons back into the universe. But the entropy increases a long way because the entropy always does. So one photon will always give rise to more than one photon going back. 
And the way that it works is the atmosphere traps most of the photons coming back out until they eventually get to the right wavelength of infrared and can leave. So it's really a complicated interaction between things happening here on Earth, the conditions in the atmosphere. But you shouldn't be surprised that the entropy goes up along the way. That's what actually does. Yes? Um, why did you say that the space-time is a dynamical system? Why did I say that space-time is a dynamical system? Is Oh, uh, a dynamical system is just a technical term that physicists use. It means that there are equations that tell me, given the starting conditions of space-time, how it will evolve for the future. So a dynamical system is something that physicists and mathematicians study that is an answer to the question, given initial conditions, what does the future hold? And Einstein told us that space-time has that property. He has Einstein's equation, not e equals mc squared, that's anyone's old equation. Einstein's equation, tells us how space-time responds to different ways of poking and well, Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you stopped me when you said 10 to the negative 30 degrees. I'm not sure on what scale. But I seem, to re I, okay, I, I seem to remember a term absolute zero, which right. is not in that range. Yes, very good. So uh, the question is, where does 10 to the minus 30 degrees come from? I thought that there was, in principle, a lowest possible temperature, namely zero, absolute zero. So the Kelvin temperature scale, the degrees are just as big as Celsius degrees, but instead of zero being water freezing, zero is absolute zero, the lowest conceivable possible temperature that something can be. One of the benefits of believing in atoms is that we know what temperature is, just like we know what entropy is. We believe in atoms, temperature is just the average energy of motion of the individual atom. So if all the atoms are absolutely still and not moving, your system is at absolute zero. The point is that the universe never reaches absolute zero because of quantum fluctuations. And it's only because there is energy in empty space. If the energy of empty space were zero, the universe would just empty out, the temperature would go lower and lower and lower and get closer and closer to absolute zero. But because there is energy in empty space, it keeps it vibrating, it gives it some little nudge, and that makes the, the lowest temperature that the universe can actually achieve higher than absolute zero. Um, the Hubble-Hulking idea of having um, no time early on and evolving from there, perhaps, doesn't that look a little bit like if you take one of your baby universes there, if we're not having any interaction with anything else, that that moment when it nucleates out, that that is in some sense equivalent, or can you tell the difference? Yeah, so the question is, uh, Hartle and Hawking, way back in the 80s, uh, proposed something called the no-boundary wave function for the universe. They have an idea of how the universe can truly come out of nothing. Or not even out of nothing, but just there can be a beginning of the universe without any moment before. And it looks, as the question asks, a lot like this little baby universe, except that instead of this coming out of a bigger universe, you just sort of cap it off in some way and say it comes out of nothingness. And the difference to me is that in this picture, I didn't set up the universe in any precise, delicate way. This empty thing is very, very high entropy. It's very, very natural in some sense. But the entropy can always go up, nevertheless, by creating new universes. What Hartle and Hawking have to do to the question, why did the early universe have such a low entropy? They say, because we made it that way. We started it that way. There's many, many ways you could start the universe with a much higher entropy, and they chose not to do it. So they're inventing a new law of physics, the no-boundary wave function of the universe, that sort of skirts the question 
Why did the early universe have low entropy? Because the early universe had a low entropy. So I'm trying to do better. They might be right, but I'm trying to do better. Uh, according to this theory, does it mean one universe will become two and there will be more units? That's right, yes. So uh, the question is, I think we're going to have one more question after this. The question is, uh, it, it's true that this baby universe expands and cools and eventually it will be empty and quiet. Won't it have children? So you have grandchildren universes and great-grandchildren and infinitely on in the future and the answer is yes. Uh, but if they have infinite baby universe, where is the first Where's the first one? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, and, and, and it is actually a very good question. So the short answer is we don't know. Um, the philosophy behind this picture, which again may or may not be right, is that the universe has to start somewhere. And it starts somewhere, this behavior is generic. It's robust. It will always happen like this. So it's true that it has to start somewhere, but I just don't care how you start it. I will get the same answer. <coughs> at the end of the day. All right, one more quick question. Yes. Yeah. Um, just, the question is a deliberate question, okay, about time. It, it does seem like, um, my question is, after all these populations, does the past exist? It seems like there's no direction of time, but it seems like you're still referencing time. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a good question because the, the nomenclature gets confusing. Uh, here, there's no arrow of time in this part of the universe because you're in equilibrium. There's no difference between the past and the future. But there is time. There is this moment and this moment and this moment and this moment. So I can arbitrarily draw a picture and say this is the future and this is the past. It could equally well call this the future and that the past. But the point is there can be time without an arrow of time. Just like there is space without an arrow of space. Very, very different properties if it didn't have an arrow, but it certainly could still